Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I am your host, Howard Sides. Today, we're continuing our study of the book of Revelation in chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be picking up with verse 4 with our next thought here uh, in the second section of this chapter. Uh, so let's, uh, I'll tell you what, let's read, uh, I don't think we're going to get further than this. Verse 4 is the third vial, so we'll read about the third and the fourth vial, and I think as far, may not even get that far, I don't know, let's read. So, uh, Revelation chapter 16, verse 4, uh, we read, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, and wast, and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Okay, so kind of overviewing where we're at, chapter 16 is broken up into three sections. Uh, the first one is in verse 1, the judgment is commanded. The judgment is commanded. The second one is in verses 2 through 9, the judgment is commenced. The judgment is commenced. And the third section, verses 10 through 21, the judgment is completed. So we're within the middle point of the judgment is commenced. Uh, there's four points in that. Uh, verse 2 is the unexpected cancer of the seal. Verse 3, the unexplained contamination of the sea. Uh, verses 4 through 7, the unexaggerated corruption of the streams. And then verse 8 through 9, the unexampled catastrophe to the sun. So that's where we're at, this third point here, the unexaggerated corruption of the streams, uh, beginning in verse 4. And within that, there's three thoughts uh, that we'll bring out. Uh, the first one is in verse 4, the reality of this judgment. The reality of this judgment. Uh, the second one, verses 5 through 6, is the righteousness of this judgment. The righteousness of this judgment. And then finally, verse 7, the response to this judgment. The response to this judgment. All right, so verse 4. Now, we can only imagine the ecological disaster that will take place when the oceans uh, are turned to blood. But now, in verse 4, we see that the fresh water is also turned to blood. Uh, man's desperation, horror, and despair uh, will know no limit. I mean, you can't even imagine. We take so many things for granted, and I talk about it all the time in Sunday school, um, simple things that we have. Um, um, running water i mean really uh how about when the like when the power goes out uh now here recently we've been in this natural phenomena uh that's totally unexpected and and we're totally not used to that here this in in this region of the south uh where this is the third weekend in a row where we've had snow ice sleet freezing rain something of that nature uh that just doesn't happen around here um usually one Winter will get maybe in February a good snow, uh, 
it, it, it that's usually all we get. Uh, but it has been, um, I am 52, <laughs> I'm 52 or 53, something like that, uh, since 1969, uh, and I know I can't remember them all, but, but in my recent memories, uh, this has probably been one of the, the, as far as, uh, duration, it's been one of the colder winters, uh, and I certainly don't ever remember it snowing or having precipitation in three, three weeks in a row. I know some places, you know, they're like, oh, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> it's just, I'm talking about in this region, it just doesn't happen around here. So, uh, driving to my point, uh, we've been blessed that the power has not gone out. Uh, but what if it had? Uh, I mean, I, we've been through it before, uh, especially in this region we deal with hurricanes and things like that. It probably takes out more, uh, uh, we have more power outages with those than we do with ice storms or that nature. Uh, but you, you get up and <laughs> go cut the water faucet on, uh, you know, you just don't realize how valuable fresh water is. Uh, we just take it for granted so much. But yet here, all the water's turned to blood. Even the fact that you have water, it's not water. Uh, John Phillips, in his commentary on Revelation, he says, and I quote, the Lord's first miracle was to turn water into wine. Now he turns water into blood, end quote. Now, again, this judgment is very similar to that uh, 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 to an Egyptian plague. Uh, in Exodus chapter 7, verses 17 through 21, it says, Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. Uh, that goes without saying. Uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod, and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now verse 25 goes on to tell us that this lasted for seven days. We are given no time limit on this judgment. Now, it does say they're poured out quickly, but it doesn't say how long they're going to last. But a, a good point to bring out there is in uh, the end of verse, uh, well, I guess the middle of verse 19 in, in Exodus 7, where it says, upon their, uh, uh, stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, their rivers, ponds, and their pools of water. Now, turning a river to blood, um, that that is one thing, and if you imagine, uh, most rivers are fed by streams or that sort of thing. Uh, it could be infected by that. But when you turn a pond into blood, I, think about it. I, I mean, that's all the bodies of water. There's nothing running into a pond except maybe a little creek from here or there or whatever. All the waters of bot, all the bodies of water were turned to blood. Uh, that's that's a level of devastation. Uh, you can't even imagine. 
We've never experienced anything like that. And here it says it's even going to be of a greater scale than what happened in Egypt. Now, with the level of devastation that will be caused by turning the oceans to blood, what symbolical purpose is served by turning the freshwater to blood? When you think about that. Now, remember uh, the vial before it was the oceans. <clears throat> right? I think it was the second vial. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second vial. Turned the oceans to blood. Well, now it goes to the freshwater. And it, it, the, one, the plague in Egypt, it was all the waters. But here, uh, there's a separation of them. The first, the second vial or bowl was the sea, but this one is strictly on fresh water. So what can be served by doing that? Uh, w. Boyd Carpenter, uh, in his book titled Ellicott's Bible Commentary, says, A vast number of Earth's great cities are located upon the rivers, and just as the rivers move downward to the sea, so the influences of Earth's great cities flow downward from them into all mankind. We interpret the blight upon the rivers and fountains as the ultimate blight upon the urban civilizations of the world, which will change the influences descending from those great cities into blood. People cannot worship self and sensuality without degrading, at last, their joys, recreations, and all creative activity and reducing them to lower and lower levels. When the public taste grows corrupt, the literature, for example, will become so. End quote. So it's like flowing downhill is what he's getting at all right now <clears throat> we have talked about the reality of this judgment now in verses five through six there is the righteousness of this judgment and the phrase there says and i heard the angel of the waters say uh now, now we know angels have different roles right um some examples daniel chapter 6 verse 22 my god had sent his angel and has shut the mouth uh lion's mouths that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. And so in that example, we know, uh, if you don't know, that's the story when Daniel was basically thrown into the lion's den to be fed to the lions, uh, but they turned over and just didn't pay no attention. They ignored him. And so Daniel responds that God had sent his angel and had shut the lion's mouths. Now, was this the sole intent and purpose for this one angel in this one specific time and period to do that? I, it could be. Who knows? But we know at that moment in time, that was his job, and he did it very well. He shut up the lion's mouth. <clears throat> Again, Luke 1, 19. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Gabriel is an archangel that had the job of uh, making particular announcements to members of the nation of Israel, as he was doing here. Also, Jude chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now here... We see that Michael is the archangel that is the protector of the nation of Israel and was actually in a fight for the body of Moses with, with Satan himself. <laughs> Imagine that. Wow. Okay, uh, then in Revelation 7-1, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So there's also four angels here in Revelation chapter 7, that are in control of the four winds. There's four of them, each one in control of the four winds. 
that being north, east, south, west, right? Uh, again, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. So not all, all angels are good. Uh, Revelation 14, 18. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are ripe. So we see angels have different um, duties, different jobs, different uh, tasks. And I would go so far as to tell you that I believe the Bible actually tells us there's different ranks of angels. We know of seraphim, their name specifically, uh, cherubim, their name specifically, and there's powers, dominions. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Those are all different ranks of angels. Um, and other others, they're, uh, we're given a description of them, but we're really not told what their name is. Uh, so the angel of the waters here specifically responds as this is his area of protection. A good question here is whether this angel is in charge of all water on the earth or maybe just fresh water in general or just that one body of water that he's protected. I, I, it doesn't say, but it, it, it's an interesting thought anyway, whether there's one in charge of the oceans and another in charge of fresh water. I don't know. Doesn't say. Uh, the next phrase, thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and, sh and shall be because thou hast judged thus. Okay, let me take this moment to put out this public announcement that if you haven't changed the batteries in your smoke detectors, you might ought to do it soon. Uh, mine's been going off today. Uh, I've got a battery. I just haven't had a chance to put it in yet. So there you go. No alarm, but it is telling me that it needs a battery. <laughs> So this is my reminder to you to do that. All right, so back to this again. Uh, thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. Now, the next two verses are sort of a parenthesis to show us that such terrible judgments are in no way to be seen as unbecoming or out of character of the one true and living God. These judgments are exactly what the God of love should do. When people are fully determined and have decided that they will not obey God, nothing could be more just and honorable on the part of the Father than to turn them loose, give them up, harden their hearts, and deliver them completely into the hands of the devil whom they have chosen to obey. It was their choice. That's what they chose. And there you go. All right. Uh, <clears throat> now, verse uh, six starts out, uh, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Now, what saints and prophets are spoken of here? Revelation chapter six, verses nine through 11 tells us, and when they, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? <clears throat> excuse me, and white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So here we see the souls of them that had been slain, and yet they're to be put on hold. They're to wait for the rest of them that are supposed to be killed. 
Uh, Revelation 11, verses 7 through 10. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, talking about the two witnesses here, uh, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. What other city could that be than Jerusalem? And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. What that's talking about there is Jewish custom as well as Islamic custom that a dead body needs to be immediately put in the ground. Uh, and they don't even touch dead things, so they have a specific uh, ceremony and thing that they go through. But yet here, they just leave them laying three and a half whole days. Verse 10, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. This is a second Christmas day because these two had been killed. That's what they're celebrating. <laughs> they're going to send gifts to each other uh, and celebrate like Christmas time. Uh, then again, Revelation 13, 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So there you go. Now this phrase, they have shed the blood, clearly shows that God holds these men just as responsible as the beast and Satan himself. Um, it's the uh, term accomplice that we have today. Uh, you don't actually have to commit the act. Uh, you can be involved in it. And if you went along with it, you're just as guilty as one who did it. That's called an accomplice. And that, that's what that's talking about there. <clears throat> All right. Uh, the next phrase, verse 6. And thou hast given them blood to drink. Thou hast given them blood to drink. Or right, I'm going to try and get through this and then change that battery, okay? <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, James Burton Kaufman in his commentary, he says, Violence has a way of destroying itself through the operation of the divine law of retribution. Where were the saints and prophets of God murdered? Almost without exception, they were murdered in earth's great cities, indicating that we are on the right track in our interpretation of the rivers and fountains. God will reward, God will reward ruthless, barbarous, violent cultures with a liberal dose of their own medicine. They shed innocent blood. Very well, God will give them blood to drink. End quote. Adam Clark in his commentary says, and I quote, It is said that when Tomris, queen of the Scythians, had vanquished Cyrus, she cut off his head and threw it into a vessel of blood, saying these words, Satisfy thyself with blood, for which thou hast thirsted, and for which thy desire has been insatiable. This figure of speech is called sarcasm in rhetoric. End quote. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, if that's what you're after, here you go. You're going to get it now. All right, uh, the next phrase, for they are worthy, for they are worthy. Now, these wicked and hardened men fully deserve the divine sentence of wrath that has been poured on them. Uh, this is the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of what we call sowing and reaping. Um, Galatians 6, 7 says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So, if we would criticize God for his judgments, why then do we thank him for his judgments which fell upon Christ, 
when he gave his soul to be made an offering for our sin. God's attitude toward the men who reject that cross and follow after the Antichrist is no different than his judgment upon the Christ when he made sin for us. There you go. Stanley Loomis, in his book Paris and Terror, says, and I quote, A conspicuous in the present day is the blurred sense of justice. There are many now who do not believe that anyone is worthy of punishment, no matter what their what were their crimes. The reign of terror in Paris during the French Revolution was brought about primarily from the reluctance or outright refusal of legitimate authority to punish criminals. Had Louis XVI been the tyrant that the extremists accused him of being, there would have been no revolution. <clears throat> Excuse me. France had a revolution because she tolerated and invited every conceivable kind of dissension, even that of the mob murder of duly elected assemblymen of the central government. A society that is incapable of taking care of its murats will inev inevitably perish. End quote. Now, that sounds like something written today. Oh, that's what the governments are doing today. They're letting this stuff go on. And, and the societies that are allowing it, they're going to burn. They're going to crash and burn. But Stanley Loomis wrote those words all the way back in 1964. 1964. They're just as true then and much more true even now, today. Okay, next uh, point here is in verse 7, the response to this judgment. The response to this judgment. And I heard another out of the altar say, all right, now, this could be the voice of the angel in charge of this altar, or it could be the voice of those martyrs of chapter 6 whose blood is under this same altar. This is definitely the voice of someone who was interested in what was occurring or to whom these events were connected to. That, that's rather obvious. Now, the word another here is the Greek word allos, A-L-L-O-S. That means something else or something different. This seems to indicate to me that the voice is that of the martyrs who in Revelation 6 were the ones asking God how long. And now the now it's being brought about, so they're seeing it and responding in, in such kind. Uh, now this phrase, uh, next phrase here, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Now F.B. Meyer said, and I quote, Our softer age sh shrinks from such conceptions of the divine judgments. But it is likely that our standards are weakened and warped by our daily contact with what is earthly and human. God's love is not soft and emasculated, but strong, vigorous, and righteous. Only when we reach the land of light and glory shall we understand the true horror of sin and the inveteracy, which means deeply ingrained, uh, of human apostasy. And that's, that's very true. We're not going to realize how bad this thing of sin is until we get to heaven. Um, until we reach that point, we're just not really fully understanding the whole concept of holy and sin. We just don't really grasp those um, things and understand what they really mean, how bad they really are, how dangerous they are to us. Okay, so that brings us to our final point here in verses uh, 8 through 9 uh, in the second section here. And that is the unexampled catastrophe to the sun. The unexampled catastrophe to the sun. 
All right, so verse 8, uh, there's the phrase, and power was given unto him. Power was given unto him. Now, it should make us stop and think when we hear that the very angels who rejoice over one sinner that repents are the same who are used in this terrible or in these terrible judgments. And not only that, but they, uh, but that they are so outspoken in the mere justice of these judgments as well, such as in verse five. Now that's not saying that this exact angel who celebrates one is the exact angel who does the other, but we know as a whole angels as a chorus or as a group, uh, do celebrate a sinner that repents. So, so I think they all from Michael and Gabriel on down to the least angel they all celebrate there so i think that's what the point is uh, that we should understand uh the next phrase and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat now with the fourth trumpet only one third of the sun the moon and stars was smitten so that one third was darkened but only the light was diminished nothing is said about the heat of the sun uh so this vial is vastly different from the effects of the trumpet judgment uh, there's no way to imagine just how hot the sun will get. Um, I know there's a measurement of how hot the surface of the sun is, uh, but, but we don't know how hot it will be. But let's consider uh, the meaning of the word scorch. Okay, there's several different definitions for the word scorch. Um, the first one is the Greek word kalmat, kalmatizo, kalmatizo. And that's K-A-U-M-A-T-I-Z-O. That means to burn or to scorch, just like what we would think. Now, this phrase is used only in Matthew 13, 6, Mark chapter 4, verse 6, and also here. Uh, the word also has the Greek, uh, is the meaning for the Greek word kalma, K-A-U-M-A, which means to burn with a glow. Uh, this word defines the phrase great heat in Revelation chapter 16, verse 9. Uh, the word scorch also is the Greek word kausis, K-A-U-S-I-S, which means continual burning or the act of burning, such as in Hebrews 6, 8, where it says, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. It also carries the definition uh, of the Greek word kauso, K-A-U-S-O-O, which means to set on fire with intense heat. That's the meaning of the word there in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the, which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So that's the definition of the phrase fervent heat. Um, and then the final one here is the word kausen, K-A-U-S-O-N, kausen, which means a glare or burning heat. <clears throat> and that's the definition used in James 1.11. Uh, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. All right, Albert Barnes, in his commentary, he says, and I quote, The notion of intense or consuming heat is implied in all forms of the word. And the reference here is to some calamity that would be well represented by such an increased heat of the sun. Now, what kinds of calamity have or could be caused by the sun? Uh, John Phillips suggests three events. And I'm going to run through all of these for you. Uh, the first one, and I quote, 
The sun, in its normal state, pours out a continuous stream of high-energy particles which race toward the Earth at a peak speed of 3 million miles per hour. The Earth is surrounded by a field of radiation called the magnetosphere, which protects it from full exposure to this deadly assault. The solar radiation which penetrates the magnetosphere is trapped in turn by the Van Allen belts. Some scientists believe that from time to time, about every 5,000 years, the Earth's magnetic field reverses itself, at which time the magnetosphere is reduced to a mere 5% of its normal strength. During this time, the cosmic rays would bombard the Earth nearly in full force, producing death or drastic mutation to all life forms. While this has not happened during man's tenure on Earth, there are signs that it could be close to happening. Since the year 1670, the Earth's magnetic field is thought to have been reduced by fully 15%, and at the present rate of decrease, will have almost completely disappeared by the year 3990. End quote. Uh, the second effect. Again, John Phillips, and I quote, The sun also suffers violent weather patterns of its own called solar storms. Tongues of flame leap out from the surface of the sun, erupting hot solar plasma as far as a million miles away, which projects X-rays, light waves, electronic clouds, and destructive high-energy protons toward the Earth. A, <clears throat> excuse me, a magnetic storm occurs when the Earth is in the direct path of these eruptions. These giant flares follow three well-known cycles, one of 11-year intervals, one of 80-year intervals, and one of 400-year intervals, and calls the phenomena in the sun known as sun spots. One such flare occurred at 2.37 p.m. on November the 12th, 1960. The resulting cloud of solar hydrogen gas measured 10 million miles across and trailed halfway back to the sun 93 million miles away and bombarded the Earth at a speed of 4,000 miles a second. That equals 6.45 hours. It set off violent week-long disturbances on and around the Earth and precipitated an electrical and magnetic storm of enormous proportions. Compass needles wavered erratically, communications were blackened out, and the northern lights flared majestically. Yet this was a mere ripple in the steady flow of energy from the sun. Just a ripple, just a bloop, just a blurt of what is constantly coming. Crazy. All right, and third effect. Uh, again, John Phillips and a quote. Or perhaps the sun will die a premature death. Uh, the sun known to astronomers, astronomers as a second generation star is built up of cosmic dust and gas. Although the sun has been radiating for a comparatively short time and has only moderately depleted its hydrogen content, it will not continue to radiate at its present rate. Sorry about that. I'm trying to get through this so I can get that thing fixed. I apologize, really. All right, continuing on. Uh, the hydrogen and helium in the sun do not mix thoroughly. The helium is concentrated in the sun's central core while the atomic fusion reaction takes place at the surface of the core. As the sun continues to radiate, the helium core will become more massive and there will be a corresponding increase in the temperature at the sun's center. In time, helium fusion will begin, resulting in a gradual expansion of the sun 
until it becomes a red giant. When that happens, the heat on Earth will become unbearable, the oceans will boil away, and life will be scorched from the planet. End quote. So, what is the meaning of this judgment? Um, it's based on man refusing the light of the world for basically their own light. So, what's going to, you know, how do we measure intense heat? Uh, how bad is it going to be? Uh, we really don't know. I don't want to be here to find out. I mean, we have summer times around here that jump up in the uh, hundreds of degrees, and that's pretty much it wipes out your energy. If nothing else, you can't even drink enough water to function in that kind of heat. Now, I know there's people out west say, oh, yeah, well, it gets 129. That's a dry heat. I'm telling you, the humidity around here, it's as thick as soup when it gets up over 90, 95 degrees. It, it, it's a whole different ball field. It's just totally different. Heat's hot, yes. But when you throw in the humidity, no. Well, anyway. Um, so, uh, the biblical illustrator uh, says this, and I quote, It means that institutions of learning, and even churches and religious organizations, are teaching, uh, again, we've mentioned this before, evolution, humanism, communism, libertinism, a new morality, atheism, and a host of other lies. It means that churches are preaching the philosophies of men, the commandments of men, the prejudices of men, and the traditions of men instead of the word of God. It means that the prophetic voice of the scriptures no longer disturbs what few churchgoers are left. The great worldwide mission of saving souls has been replaced by social programs, endowing the church with their new status of carrying the bedpan for the sick society instead of proclaiming the true light of the fire of God's word to a wicked world. Instead of being lamp bearers of the true light, many are instead merely waving the smoking torches of human wisdom. End quote. Boy, he nailed, the, nailed it right on the head right there. Uh, James Burton Coffin, he also has a comment on that. He says, and I quote, <clears throat> that the very light which should illuminate human life should be changed into scorching destruction denotes a condition mentioned by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? All right, and the next phrase, and blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over the plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Uh, Clarence Larkin says in his book, and I quote, the effect of this plague will not be any, or will, will not be an effort to make man repent, but to cause them to blaspheme the name of God. Uh, it's already known that they're not going to repent. We've already seen pain doesn't do that. It's just pushing them to a harder uh, blasphemy. I mean, God's already turned them over to a reprobate mind, like the Bible says. So there you go. Now consider, consider this. Uh, that in most cases of first aid, the treatment of a burn is of such. Now, first and second degree burns, uh, which is damage to the epidermis and the dermis, uh, you use lukewarm water. Uh, third degree burns, uh, that's damage to tissue underneath, which is called subcutaneous or charred or blackened skin. That, that means it actually gets down and actually burns uh, the tendons or the muscles underneath. Uh, soap and water is used to clean the hands and materials needed to treat the burns. Now, question. 
think about this now. Remember what all has happened so far. What water is available to treat these wounds as the third angel just turned all the fresh water to blood? There is none. So there you go. They're just going to be they're just going to have to lay there and take it. Now this is evidence of a clearly divined design by God in the face of judgment. Romans 11:33 tells us, "Oh the depth of the riches of both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out." This verse clearly explains to us that we don't have the right to question God's actions because we are even incapable of understanding them anyway. What's the point of asking the question if you're not going to understand the answer? It's a waste of time. God will complete the process of hardening the sinner after all attempts to show mercy have been turned away. Romans 2, verses 4 through 6. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath, against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds? That his deeds is man's deeds, not God's deeds. At no place during the bold judgments do we have any indication that anyone on planet earth has repented of their rebellion against God. In fact, it is clearly stated that they repented not in verse 9. Who can honestly blame God for the severity of his judgments in light of the history of man's obstinacy and rebellion? All right, so that concludes this section of the study. And we're going to finish there and uh, go into the third section of chapter 16 in the next uh, podcast. <clears throat> all right, so once again, let me thank you for listening. Uh, and I say that all the time. I try and make a point of saying that. Um, I do thank you for listening, not, not to bring any glory to me. Um, not looking for that. I, I'm just excited to teach and, and it encourages me to know that there are people willing to listen, uh, you know, not, not to me, but to what God's word. We're not interested in what man has to say. We're not interested in what Howard has to say. We're interested in what the Bible says, what thus saith the Lord. And, and I'm telling you, we're getting into this point where, um, uh, the plow is going to start digging a little deeper, and, and I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time because it's going to get rough, uh, especially when we get into chapter 17. Uh, there, there's a lot of people out there that's going to find what I say offensive, uh, but you have to remember what the Bible says about itself is a sharp, double-edged sword which cuts both ways. It's it's not me that's offending you. It's what God's word is. And listen, even as his children, it should offend us in the point <clears throat> that it should correct us. Okay? So I just wanted to bring that point across clearly. <clears throat> All right? Okay, so uh, I got to leave and go <laughs> fix the battery in my smoke detector shortly. Again, this is a reminder that you need to check yours too. Okay? Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great, wonderful day. Uh, remember again, pray for me, pray for each other, and pray for our country. Pray for your local church. All right. Uh, see you on the next podcast.